Thank you, Nate. Good morning, guys, gals. Good to see y'all. Good-looking group this morning. Yeah, well, it's, I'm louder, I guess. Um, mission Sunday. We've got a Mission Sunday coming up May the 7th. And so I uh, just sort of want to put that bug in your ear. Uh, this year we did not do a missions conference. Some of you may have noticed that. Uh, several reasons why. We have had a shortfall in our missions all year, actually going back to December. Our offerings have been good. We're $1,500 to the good on the year, so our offerings are right on pace. But I think we're taking money from Paul to pay Peter. So <laughs> um, I just want to put that before you, church. Uh, pray about, we're going to talk about on Mission Sunday, uh, renewing our faith promise giving. Some of you, I know, uh, carry that from year to year. Uh, and would just want to encourage you a little bit more on the faith promise giving. We're going to talk about that. We're going to have a guest speaker that day. Some of you know that guest speaker, Jeremy Sams. Jeremy will be back with us. Jeremy just got back from a missions trip, um, and I know I'm going to mispronounce this, so y'all please correct me. Myanmar? Okay, nobody knows because uh, I butchered it so bad it's not even a place. Anyway. Uh, somebody can tell me later because I know I said it wrong. Me but it, who is who? What? Me you can tell me tomorrow. <laughs> oh, me and my husband got you. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I was, uh, was, <laughs> thank you, Mike. Thank you. I, I appreciate. It. You can hear Mike by the way on Go Mix Radio. <laughs> Eighty. And what's the other ones? Uh, 9.1, 9.5. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Check him out. <laughs> Please plan on being here for the Mission Sunday. That's May 7th. We're also going to ask you to bring back in your jars. You've been collecting uh, for the USA missions trip. We have a special announcement that day as well in regards to that. So please bring those jars back in. That'll be that Sunday, May the 7th. If you need a jar, there should be a couple more left on the table. Please grab those. And you got a couple of weeks before that happens. So again, May 7th, uh, here's what I'm going to ask you to do between now and then. Pray about a special offering above and beyond your regular tithes and offering. And that's between you and the Lord. But I want to ask every one of us to bring in a set-aside amount, special amount, uh, for missions to get us back in the green on the year. So please pray about that and do what God would have you do in response to the May 7th special offering. Uh, at this time, I want to uh, recognize an obvious. Uh, it is a great joy, blessing, honor to have back home with us Dustin Mayetz. Dustin, please stand. Amen. Amen. Dustin, I'm going to ask you to come. I know, I know you didn't want me to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. As if you needed help on a hot date night, here's a suggestion. All right? <laughs> Love you, it's, it's good to have him home. And I know uh, Katie is saying, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> so, wonderful. With that said, we have one coming home and we have some leaving. And uh, that is not as joyful, but it is in this sense. I know God is leading them. And uh, they have been an amazing blessing to this body. 
and we just want to show us uh, just a thank you. And so I'm going to ask Tiago and Jessica if you could come down front at this time. And let's show our respect and appreciation for these two. So, uh, looks like we're going to be eating every weekend. <laughs> and at this time, I'm going to go ahead and move out of the way, let uh, Nate come back up. He's going to turn our hearts uh, to the Lord through a scripture reading, and we'll take the morning offering. I'm just going to read a short passage, uh, give us a little historical background um, to the sermon this morning. I won't say anything else. I'll let him do all of that. But uh, in Genesis chapter 14, uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 18. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. We're going to have our ushers come now. And we'll turn to the Lord in prayer. God, I just thank you so much that we get to gather together and worship you. And we get to do it here in a, a wonderful building uh, out in the open and, and invite people to come in uh, publicly uh, without fear of persecution. I just think about uh, as we were praying uh, on Friday night uh, for the persecuted church and those uh, all over the world, believers who don't have these freedoms, the privilege that we have to be here uh, and worship you without fear. I just thank you for uh, the men and women that uh, protect that freedom, both at home and overseas. Uh, we thank you for, for bringing Dustin in and uh, keeping him safe and bringing him back. God, I just pray for this service, that, that we would be focused on you, that you'd re remove the distractions and uh, our hearts and minds, and uh, that we would be focused on, on worship and worshiping you through every part of the service, whether it's our giving or or our singing, or uh, the fellowship, or, or especially as we dive into your word. I just pray that you would uh, move our hearts and that we all would leave here changed because of what we've heard. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to sing a new song today. 
song is called Christ Lives in Me. It speaks of uh, the fact that we were once slaves to sin, slaves to unrighteousness. But because now Christ lives in us, we have the hope of glory. So sing with us as we sing about having Christ live in us. All my life I was a slave. I was a slave, sin was ruling over me, that was falling from the grave, that was waiting there for me. What a tragedy, but through Jesus I've been saved, by step I've been redeemed, though I lived a life of shame, by His blood I've been made
song before today <laughs> not one of them because guess what Tiago wrote that song and you'll, you'll probably hear it again one day somebody be recording it Chris Tomlin or somebody probably recording it so it's copyrighted it's copyrighted uh, and Tiago said if we use it moving forward we had to pay him so so but that's a great song and, and Tiago wrote it just and, and I want to say something right quick just about the group I mean, he, he has helped build this group into what it is right now. And we're going to make him proud because we're going to keep making it stronger even after they leave. But uh, such, we're such thankful hearts for Tiago and Jessica, too, for, for spending time with us and being here and, 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 and helping us move this in, in this direction. But it's been such a great ride so far, and we appreciate everything you've done, Tiago.
Children's Church, you can uh, be dismissed at this time. The kiddos want to head out and have a good time back there in the Children's Church. That's excellent. As they're making their way out, I am going to ask uh, if you would take your Bibles and go ahead and uh, go to the book of Hebrews. Back in the book of Hebrews. Woohoo! Man, we may finish by 2020 on target. By the way, if you do need a Bible, there should be a Bible there in the pew in front of you. Uh, also, if you're visiting with us today, there's a little card in the pew in front of you, a little white card. If you would, please take time to fill that out. We'd love to have a record of your being here. And if you'll take time and fill that out, uh, we appreciate that. You can actually just leave it on the table on your way out. We'll pick that up. Uh, but we are certainly glad you've chosen to uh, be with us this morning uh, for worship. For those who are joining us via the live stream, uh, I think you may be noticing uh, I'm uglier than you thought I was uh, because we got a new camera. You can actually see me probably a little better today. Uh, we appreciate uh, the gift that was given to purchase that, one of our online viewers. And uh, so uh, we appreciate that, and we're thankful to be able to continue to move in the area of, of technology uh, for the Lord's namesake. And so continue to pray for the uh, the ABT department, as we're working through some kinks and bugs, and uh, I'm telling you, it's a good opportunity in the day in which we live to share the gospel. Uh, there is no excuse with the variety of methods that are available to us, literally at a fingertips touch. We must all be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. We find ourselves in chapter 5, um, and we're going to do a little bit of a, a backup. I know I've already hit a little bit of the first part of Hebrews 5, but it's been a while, and so I want to include those verses in our reading this morning as we go back and, and look at this. God bless you. I have been reminded multiple times that uh, I have an appointment uh, right after, a uh, uh, picture appointment. Uh, so uh, you may actually finish early today. But that's all right. I know. I know. You're excited. Hold your applause. We're not done yet. You keep that up, young lady. We may go longer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I did take a little extra time last week, so maybe we'll, we'll add that to this, this week's bill, right? Anyway, uh, notice if you would in Hebrews chapter 5 in verse 1. And let's begin our reading in God's Word. 
here. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was, so also Christ did not glory, glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that as you promise in your word, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Lord, in and of myself, I lack the wisdom to rightly divide the word of truth. But through your promises, you've sealed me until the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is my teacher and is our teacher. And we would ask that he be our teacher this morning through the preaching of your word, the teaching of your word. So Lord, I ask that you will fill me with your spirit. I pray you will anoint me, use me for your namesake. Give us clarity of thought. Give us understanding and heart. And Lord, give us obedience in response what you have for us today. May the name of Jesus Christ truly be lifted high here. For it's in his name we ask and we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5 is when we start to kind of move into the deep end of the swimming pool, if you will. Moving forward, we're getting ready to get into some chapters and some verses that um, for a lot of folks create a bit of obstacle when it comes to understanding. And that's not been helped in the fact that the waters have been muddied by many a teachers, I'm sure many well-meaning, but not rightly dividing the word of truth. I covet your prayers as your pastor as I continue to 
go into the deep end theologically speaking and through the Bible study time that I have in preparation for the sermons that I want to present to you. Because I recognize the heavy responsibility that I have as a pastor to rightly divide the word of truth to serve you today through the teaching. And as I am spending time in the Word and I am studying these things and God is making Himself known, uh, it is my prayer that I will share those things and those truths and that you will see as you compare Scripture with Scripture and as the Spirit of God illuminates to you the understanding of what He means in these passages. Now we know that the Hebrew writer is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. And we know that those Jewish people that he's writing to, just by way of recap, have been those who are gathered in an assembly together in a certain area. And in that midst of people, there are those who are believers. They have left out of Judaism and they are now followers of Jesus Christ. They recognize Christ for who He claimed to be, who He is. And they are committed followers, faithful followers of Christ. So the writer of the book of Hebrews, the one who penned this letter, is writing to them to encourage them, to strengthen them in their faith. But we also know that there are some that are there that are not believers. And Scripture tells us even to this day that the wheats and the tares will grow together until the day of harvest. And so even here today in the midst of us, there may be believers, there may be non-believers. And so just as this letter was written to those people, and many would have heard, many would have heeded, many would not. No doubt the same happens even today. And there are also those in the midst, the third group of people who are there, and and, and, and it's as if the... The Spirit of God is just illuminating, it's drawing, it's speaking to their heart. And for whatever reason, they're they're wanting to hold on to their understanding. And specifically in the Jewish custom, the, the ritualistic things that they were raised in. The traditions that they were taught. Instead of letting go of religion and grabbing hold in a relationship through the person of Jesus Christ. And there may be some of you here today in that situation. If that is you, I I ask that you hear as you read through the book of Hebrews the passion and the prayerful effort that is being put forward through the power of the Holy Spirit of that writer pleading and begging to those people to not forsake, to not neglect so great a salvation. And he will sit in the assembly here and have and hear and be right on the verge of surrendering their heart and life to Jesus Christ, but instead will walk out the doors unchanged from how they came in. And if they die in their sins, they will die and step into an eternal hell. And that's the reality. And the writer of Hebrews knew that there in the midst there were many who also were in that same boat. And no matter how much pleading, no matter how much uh, inspiration of the Spirit of God was being put forth, no matter how much truth, there would be those who would turn and walk away. But yet, it doesn't stop the writer to continue to plead, to make his argument, to reason with the people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So notice what he says here. 
A couple of things we want to look at. We're going to actually look at three things this morning. And one of the first things out of the gate I want us to see very clearly is that a high priest was appointed by God for men. A priest must be appointed. Notice point one. And we're going to focus on Aaron in this first section of Scripture, verses 1 through 5. Aaron was a ritual priest. Aaron was a ritual priest based upon the law of Moses. Notice, if you would, in the text, verses 1 through 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. You remember we talked about this. What does a high priest do? A high priest would represent the people to God. And this is why through the history of the Israelites, the traditions that they practiced, the things that were prescribed by Moses through the uh, influence of God, the inspiration of God, the things that he pinned down, the things that they did through their tabernacle worship, their temple worship, the sacrifices being offered, all of those things that were done were done in obedience to what God had said. And God said, not Moses, but Aaron, that he would be the high priest. That it would be through his lineage. The Levites also have priestly responsibilities. There was a designation by God as to who would carry out these responsibilities. The writer is going to make a comparison and a contrast as he's been doing in previous chapters. He's going to do the same type of thing here. And so he starts off though, and we want to look at this. Aaron was a ritual priest based upon the law of Moses. He's also going to make the point, though, that that Jesus was appointed as high priest. Notice what he says here. Continue on down. Verse 2. Why is it that a man must fill this spot in pertaining uh, between the affairs of man and, and, and representing the people to God? That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Verse 2. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. This is why Jesus' humanity was important. God had to come in the form of a man because as a man, He relates to man. We see this when we read through the pages of Scripture and we see the life of Christ. We see how He grew tired. We saw how He was hungry. We saw those types of things. We see His struggles. And we're going to continue to look at that as we unfold today's message. So in Jesus' humanity, He could relate to you. He could relate to me. He he battled the temptations, yet he did not sin. So he can sympathize with your weakness. If you're struggling today, if you're hurting today, if you're tired today, whatever your battle is, Jesus can relate. Because what the writer is going to argue here is Jesus is our high priest. He represents us to God. And this was the solution. This was the answer. Before the foundation of the world, before time began, this is God's plan. Notice, not only was Jesus appointed as high priest, we see here in verse 
4, continuing on to actually go to verse 3. Because of this, he's required as for people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. Now again, we've talked about how Jesus had no sin, knew no sin, but here he's making the argument in, in, in just general argument of man himself. And so the, the men, those men from the line of Aaron, they were responsible for atoning for their own sin once a year in the sacrifice of the lambs and the burnt offerings and the things that took place. Not only were they doing that in representation of the people, they were doing it for themselves. And that's why it was only temporary. Because they were looking and longing for the Messiah to come, the promised one from God, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And Jesus is able to do that because He's fully God, yet He's fully man. And so, verse 4, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God. He who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Jesus didn't assume high priest. He didn't just, you know, say, well, hey, I'm, I'm going to be high priest. No, there's humility in this. There's a fulfillment of righteousness in Scripture in which the person who was called by God didn't aspire to be high priest. Now, a lot changed after the Babylonian captivity. And so from the Babylonian captivity till the time of Christ, those that were in the position of high priest and looked through the pages of the gospel, they were political men. They were self-appointed types of people. But not the true priests that God designated. So there's some things that I want you to see. Christ did not glorify Himself to become high priest. Jesus did not make himself priests. Only members of Aaron's family could be priests. But wait a minute. Jesus, sorry, Jesus was not of that family. He was, the, he was of the tribe of Judah, right? When you look at the lineage through his earthly family, he wasn't a member of Aaron's family. But this is what the Jewish believers had in mind, that he had to come through the line of Aaron. So you can see why they might, some of them in their midst, be saying, well, I don't know about this Jesus thing. We're really versed in our tradition, and he's not from that lineage. So that seems like a contradiction. And this is why the writer is going to make the argument that he's making. And this is why he lays these points out first here in verses 1 through 5. The most uh, high priest of Jesus' day, they were political. We talked about this since the Babylonian captivity. It had grown corrupt. Jesus' appointment, and this is the argument the writer's making, it was authoritative. Just like God placed Aaron, he declared that responsibility upon him, thus saith the Lord, it is God in his authority that is placed Jesus as high priest. And you say, well, wait a minute. Yeah. What do you got to back that up? What do you, what do you got to, to support that? Well, that's what he's going to do here as we look through. In fact, let me, let me do this first. Let me show you, show you this little chart here. This may kind of help a little bit. Now, I know you, that's clear as mud. You can see that, right? Let me see if I can read some of this for you. Notice Aaron, high priest, taken from among men. 
And this is going to be something that we're going to see as we continue through the book of Hebrews. You're going to see this comparison laid out. We're not done with this high priest argument in the letter to the Hebrews. Aaron was high priest. He was taken from among men. Christ, a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Hebrews 4.14 Aaron, for, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. Hebrews 5.3 Aaron had to offer sins for himself, but not Christ who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, Hebrews 7, 27. Aaron, every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, Hebrews 10, 11. But Christ, he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Sat down on the right hand of God. Can you understand why that's an important point? These people want to go back into the ritualistic sacrifices. Well, maybe we should have Jesus plus. And we have people today saying, well, I think you need to have Jesus plus. You, you need to have Jesus plus the Book of Mormon. You need to have Jesus plus the Watchtower. You need to have Jesus plus the Catholic Church. It's not Jesus plus anything, guys. It's Jesus is enough. Jesus is better. It is finished. It's done. And that's what he's trying to argue to these people. Stop trying to earn righteousness with God. You can't. You are never going to reach God. But God has reached you. And he's reached you through the person of Jesus Christ. He had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Sat down on the right hand of God is finished. Notice Aaron, who served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. Again, the Old Testament, this is the great point of what the Hebrew writer is trying to say. He said, look, all those Old Testament things. Remember in the beginning, God spoke. He spoke through angels. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through Moses. In these latter days, in this last day, he spoke through his son. He's trying to let people know it's finished, it's done. Those were types. Christ, he obtained a more excellent ministry, which was established upon better promises. All of those things those Jewish people knew about the Old Testament should have been things that illuminated their understanding, tugged at their hearts, and made loud and clear Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now what about this Melchizedek character? Because we see this in, in, in verses 6 and verse 10. Melchizedek was a royal priest. We saw Aaron was a ritual priest. Now we'll see Melchizedek was a royal priest. And we saw that Aaron was based upon the law of Moses. That was in fulfillment of the law of Moses. But Melchizedek was before Moses. So he's saying to these people, he's saying, Look, you have great and high respect for Aaron, but you also have great and high respect for Melchizedek. Huh? I mean, I can just imagine. Because think about what he's addressed in this letter. He's addressed the... the Mystical, because a lot of them were mystical in their understanding in, in angelology. And so he's addressed, Jesus is better than the angels. Again, many of them were, you know, revered the prophets. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than Aaron. 
Jesus is better than Melchizedek. And they knew and they had great reverence in their understanding because it's sort of like, you know, playing a game of something, maybe a game of cards and you throw down a high one. Somebody says, boom, I trump you. My card's higher. Melchizedek is the boom trump card in the game of priests. Think about it. Think about the order of Aaron. He was a priest, but he wasn't a king. This is why I had Nate read that passage earlier and in the book of Genesis. Let's go back to it real quick. Genesis 14. Hold your spot here and we're going to go over there real fast. Because I've got an appointment. <laughs> anyway. All right. By the way, my appointment's not till 1230. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. All right. So, Genesis 14, and notice in, in verse 18. I'll tell you like my good youth pastor told me, Genesis is at the beginning of the Bible. So anyway, thanks for that tip. You're always looking out for me. I appreciate that. Um, then Melchizedek, king of Salem. Brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now think about this, gang. This is before Moses. This is for the Levitical law, the priestly responsibilities, the, the line of Aaron. Any of that's on the scene. We know hardly anything about Melchizedek. In fact, this is the first place in Scripture you ever hear of this man, and he comes from out of nowhere. And who does he come to? Abram, who will later become Abraham where the Jewish people get their faith. So we see, a, we see Melchizedek coming into the scene. We don't see Melchizedek again mentioned anywhere in Scripture until David will later mention him, and we'll turn there probably in a little bit, in Psalm 110. In fact, no, let's just go ahead and turn there now. Might as well get it done because i got an appointment. All right, everybody hold your spot. Go over to Psalm 110. And I want you to look in verse 4. The psalmist David said, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, David writes this prophetic word, and that's what the writer of Hebrews quotes because, again, the Hebrew writer, whoever he may be, whether he's Paul or someone else, we don't know for sure who the writer was, he understood Jewish history. And he knew well enough through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, to have the wisdom to pin down this thought. You have Melchizedek who comes from out of nowhere in Genesis. Abram offers him tithes and offerings. You don't see him again until David mentions him in this psalm. And then it's not heard of again. He's not heard of again until the writing of Hebrews. Now, 
we'll get into a little bit more of this because in chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews, we're going to begin to unpack a little bit more about this. But there's, there's really not a lot there to work with, guys. But here's the point that I want you to take today. Here's the point I want us to understand because I believe this is the point that the writer is making. Notice, Aaron, priest, not a king. Order of Melchizedek, he was a king and a priest. Order of Aaron, he was great in Israel. Order of Melchizedek, he was greater than Israel because he was before Israel. Notice tithes from the lesser to the greater. From the lesser to the greater. If Abram gave tithes to Melchizedek, in that sense, blessings from the superior to the inferior. Look at uh, Aaron, mortal, death. The order of Melchizedek, immortal, eternal. It's in the line, the order of, because this again is sort of how it was interpreted. He came from nowhere. Who knows where he went? There's this concept of eternality associated in, in that. Uh, we also see the order of Aaron was based on the law. But the order of Melchizedek was based on God's oath. And the order of Aaron was weak, but the order of Melchizedek is perfect. This is the argument that the writer is making when comparing Christ to the order of Melchizedek. He's not comparing in the sense... He, he does, but the contrast is that Christ is greater than Aaron. That's the argument. That's the compare and contrast. Christ is greater than Aaron. Christ is greater than Melchizedek. But he's from that order in the understanding he's trying to connect to the Jews because this was their mindset. This is where they are. Melchizedek was a priest long before Aaron. God appointed him long before. So, we'll talk more about that, uh, Lord willing, in the days ahead. So my third and final point is we see point one, Aaron was a ritual priest based upon the law of Moses. Point two, Melchizedek was a royal priest before Moses. And point three, Jesus is the rightful priest. He's above Moses. Verse 7, and this is a text here. I want you, this, this is a little bit confusing if you're just sort of reading through. So let's back it up. I want to get the context. Back in Hebrews 5, go back there. Let's look here. Let's start in verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus trumps all others. When it comes to the God-appointed high priest, He is the only unique one. He is the only one appointed as high priest to end, to end it all. He is the high priest who reigned from eternity past to eternity future. Notice what happens here. Verse 6 continues. 
as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh... Now, here's where the confusion can set in. Sometimes you're reading this and you think he's talking about Melchizedek. No, Jesus is the subject. If you diagram this, who's who's to love diagramming sentences? Anybody? Oh, man, bless your heart. Y'all are... I love you because I just couldn't stand it. But good for you. If you diagram the sentences here and you were to go to the Greek language, you're going to probably have a major page full. But you're going to find that Jesus is the subject here in verse 7. So keep that in focus. Jesus is the subject who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death and was heard because of His godly fear, though He was a son... Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now I'm going to stop for a second because we're getting into that deep end again. So let me unpack this, this first portion here. Jesus is the subject. And in his days of his flesh, when God enrobed in the flesh, his days, not day, a lot of people think the Garden of Gethsemane, yes, that's part of it, but it says days, plural. So there was an ongoing struggle in Jesus' flesh, a constant praying, a constant crying, a constant battle in his flesh. When he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. You remember we quoted in the resurrection sermon on Sunday, we talked about he will not suffer his soul to Sheol. He will raise him. He didn't leave him in the grave, guys. That was evidence and proof. It was a prophetic promise from the Scriptures that the Messiah would not stay in the grave. He would rise victorious over the grave, over death. Jesus did that. By the way, you want a little interesting study, do this sometime. Go through the pages of Scripture and look at this. Make your own little notes on it. Look and see where it talks about um, Jesus raising His own life, God the Father raising His, own li- raising his life, and, and the Holy Spirit raising Jesus' life. Again, proving the Godhead, proving the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, no one takes my life, I lay it down. If I lay it down, I can take it up again. He also talks about the Father raised Him. He talks about the Holy Spirit raised Him. So again, we see that explained in Scripture as well. But here the point is that Jesus is the subject and He was uh, crying out to the Father who He knew was able to save Him from the grave. He wouldn't stay in the grave if in His flesh He laid down His life for His sheep because this was God's plan from eternity past to eternity future. And so He heard from the, he, and was heard because of His godly fear. You remember last week? You remember when we looked at Psalm 22? My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Remember how we talked about many people will say, oh, he hid his face from him. He didn't hear when he... No, 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 no. Because when you go down to verse 24 in Psalm 22, it says he heard his cry. He did not hide his face from him. And here we get it reiterated again. Jesus cried out and the Father heard. Because if the Father doesn't hear, there's no resurrection. But we know he didn't suffer him to stay in Sheol. We know he didn't suffer for him to stay in the grave. He rose him. Three days later, he rose from the grave according to the Scriptures. So why is the Hebrew writer, again, he's writing this? Because he wants to make the argument 
to these Jewish people, to these ritualistic religious people, that guys, Jesus is enough. We saw Jesus in the garden praying. We saw Jesus on the cross praying and crying out. The point is He's committed to do the will of the Father. Notice here on verse 7, if you have a, if you have a MacArthur Study Bible, you have a good Bible. Listen to this note. Verse 7, note. The subsequent context makes it clear that this refers back to Christ, the main subject, in verse 5. In Gethsemane, Jesus agonized and wept, but committed himself to do the Father's will in accepting the cup of suffering, which would bring his death. Anticipating, bearing the burden of judgment for sin, Jesus felt its fullest pain and grief. Though he bore the penalty in silence and did not seek to deliver himself from it, he did cry out from the agony of the fury of God's wrath poured on his perfectly holy and obedient person. Jesus asked to be saved from remaining in death, to be resurrected, and he was. Verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Don't misunderstand that. That doesn't say, well, it says here he learned obedience, therefore he must have been disobedient. Eh, that's not what it's saying. Okay? Jesus didn't need to suffer to conquer or correct any disobedience. As God, He was perfect. But for the sake of humanity, like with temptation, remember we talked about this when we were on the temptation subject? Remember we talked about the, the purity? Why was that which all the dross was out was tested a second time with the fire? So to, not to, to burn away impurities, it was in that precious metal to prove that it was pure. And the temptations of Christ was that. It wasn't that there was any impurities. It was to prove that He was pure. It was to prove that He was who He claimed to be. That He was God incarnate. And the same thing here. Why did suffering have to happen in the life of Christ? To prove that He was pure. To show forth His obedience. In doing the will of the Father. Perfectly. No matter how bad the pain, no matter how bad the suffering, and yet his humanity cried out vehemently. Guys, you know what that tells me and know what it should tell you? I don't know what pain you're facing. I don't know what you're suffering. I don't know what your struggles and your battles are. But there is a high priest who can sympathize. There is one who knows. He says, I know, I know. And I've provided a way. He's shown you the example. He's blazed the trail to glory. And He calls us to walk in obedience, in faith, in saving faith. After the incident in the temple, Luke says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, Luke 2.52. If at this point in Jesus' human experience, He knew everything He would not need to grow in wisdom, we emphasize that this was Jesus' human experience. Jesus never ceased being God, but in some matters He veiled His divinity in accordance with the Father's will. Thus the Son subjected Himself to physical, intellectual, social, and spiritual growth. The Son of God voluntarily put Himself in the position of needing to assimilate knowledge as man. David Guzik. Notice 
verse 9, having been perfected. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What does he mean by that, having been perfected? I thought he was perfect. I thought you just said that. Yes, guys, he is perfect. The work is complete. It is finished. But the completion was through the way of the cross. Completion was through the way of suffering. He endured the suffering and shame of the cross for the joy set before him. The completed work. And now he sat down at the right hand of God. By the way, hold your spot. I'll go back over to that Psalm 110 passage that remember the Hebrew guy quoted about Melchizedek? Well, if you also go back to that Psalm 110 passage, it begins this way. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Do you think the writer has a knowledge of who these Hebrew people are he's writing to? Do you think he understands the argument uh, through the inspiration of God on what to make in the way of reasoning with these people? Here's what he says. He says, having been perfected, he has completed the work. He sat down at the right hand of heaven, at the hand of the Father. It is finished. Through him is salvation. Not through Aaron, not through Melchizedek, through Jesus Christ. Notice the phrase, eternal salvation. If you tuned out, I want you to tune back in because we all need to hear this one. If there's one area in your life that Satan is going to hound you until you die, it's going to be in the area of your security of salvation. Are you really saved? Because he's going to want you to doubt it. Because he's going to want you to struggle. He's going to want to kick you in the pants when you're doing good. And that's usually when he's going to kick you. But guys, salvation is not based upon me and you and what we do or don't do. It's based upon the completed and finished work of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know how secure your salvation is, you need to look at the object of your faith. Is Jesus strong enough? Is Jesus great enough to sustain your salvation? You better believe it. Notice this phrase, eternal salvation. The writer didn't say, hey, Jesus is going to offer you temporary salvation. How about some eternal insecurity? Is that what he offered you? No. Notice what he says here. He uses this phrase, eternal salvation. Hebrews does not teach the loss of salvation. This book does quite the opposite. And let that phrase alone underline, highlight... And I know there's a lot of good, godly, Bible-believing people who use the book of Hebrews to try and reason you out of salvation. But i got some things I want to read to you because i, I, I got to struggle with this. If Jesus is the author, and this is the thing it says here, and having been perfected, He became the author of eternal salvation. So I don't care what preacher so-and-so says, and you shouldn't really care what I have to say unless it's in correspondence with what the author says. Well, let me tell you what the author has said. Having been perfected, he became the author of salvation to all who obey him. Jesus is the author. author another way, is the cause of salvation. It will last as long as he does. That's his point. Salvation will last as long as he does. How long is God going to last? 
How long has God lasted? How long will God last? Forever. Guys, your salvation is secure in the person of Christ. Listen to what Phillips, I, I love this, this explains it well, and I know what time it is because I've got an appointment. So, ain't nobody losing sight of it, trust me on this one. Besides, I'm in front of the line, I've got to get there first, I'm sorry, but, you know, my hair goes bad after one, I'm just saying. All right, listen to this. Um, there's a word here, it's a Greek word, hupakuo, it means to listen. The reference in this verse, um, actually, let, let, me, let me back this up, let me read this. All right, uh, a person who is saved falls into sin soon afterward. Okay, just follow this analogy for a second. A person who is saved falls into sin soon afterward and according to some, loses his salvation. We know some people teach that, right? Before he can be saved again, he dies and goes to a lost eternity. Here's the question Phillips asked. What was he saved from? The penalty of sin. Was that what he was saved from? No. Because he lost his salvation. And now he's eternally lost. Was he saved from the power of sin? Evidently not. Because he sinned to such an extent that he lost his salvation. Was he saved from the presence of sin? No. Because he's not in heaven, but in hell. Lost forever. He wasn't saved from anything. So he wasn't saved at all. The dire warning passages of Hebrews does not teach that a truly saved person can lose his salvation. Salvation, once accepted, is eternal. That's the argument here in this text. It's in the order of Melchizedek. When you receive eternal life, what kind of life did you just receive? Eternal. eternal. No beginning, no ending. Who's the only eternal being? God. Whose life did you receive when you repented and put your faith in who? Jesus Christ. When you are in Christ, you have received eternal life. You are sealed with the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Spirit of God, who, by the way, is eternal. And He sealed you until the day of redemption. Don't let anybody tell you that Hebrews teaches eternal insecurity. It does not. And the enemy wants you to doubt, and so when he gets on you, you remind him of who Jesus Christ is. You remind him of the finished work at Calvary. You remind him who is taking up your fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. Rest in the finished work of Christ. All right, I've gone past time, so I'm going to close this out with, some, with an illustration. We're told that the captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. 
He was made perfect through suffering. Therefore, we who are sinful and who are far from being perfect must not wonder if we are called to pass through suffering too. Shall the head be crowned with thorns? And shall the other members of the body be rocked upon the dainty lap of ease? Must Christ pass through seas of His own blood to win the crown and we are to walk to heaven dry shod in silver slippers? No. Our master's experience teaches us that suffering is necessary. And the true born child of God must not, would not, escape if he might. But there is one very comforting thought in the fact of Christ being made perfect through suffering. It is that he can have complete sympathy with us. He's not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In this sympathy of Christ we find a sustaining power. One of the early martyrs said, I can bear it all for Jesus suffered and he suffers in me now. He sympathizes with me, and this makes me strong. Believer, lay hold of this thought in all times of agony. Let the thought of Jesus strengthen you as you follow in His steps. Find a sweet support in His sympathy. And remember that to suffer is an honorable thing. To suffer for Christ is glory. The apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to do this. Just so far as the Lord shall give us grace to suffer for Christ to suffer with Christ, just so far does He honor us. The jewels of a Christian. The jewels of a Christian are His afflictions. The regalia of the kings whom God hath anointed are their troubles, their sorrows, and their griefs. Let us not therefore shun being honored. Let us not turn aside from being exalted. Griefs exalt us and troubles lift us up. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. Charles Spurgeon. The Father loved the Son, and yet the cross was His destiny. He loved us, and yet brings us to glory through many sufferings. John Piper observes, No one ever said that they learned their deepest lessons of life or had their sweetest encounters with God on the sunny days. People go deep with God when the drought comes. C.H. McIntosh, and I'll show you his quote here in just a second. Commenting on the death of Lazarus in John 11 said, Never interpret God's love by your circumstances but always interpret your circumstances by His love. Guys, Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. And by way of application, as we look at the life of Christ and we look at he, who He was as a high priest on our behalf, He's better than Aaron. He's better than Melchizedek. It's not about our religion. It's about our relationship. And if you're facing some problems and you're facing some struggles, take encouragement with the example of Christ who endured the suffering and the shame for the joy set before Him. Never interpret God's love by your circumstances. But always, always interpret your circumstances by His love. God demonstrated His love for you while we were still in our sin.
He died for us. God loves you. And He's given His Son to prove that. He's made a way. If you don't know Him today, can I encourage you to listen and hear His voice and obey. Respond to the invitation to have your sins forgiven. To be made whole. To inherit eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and what it teaches us and how it secures us in the person of Christ. Lord, if there is anyone here today who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that they will turn today. That they will recognize that Christ is who He claimed to be. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And He offers that life to whosoever will. Let them come. But Lord, You call us to turn our back on our sin. We're to repent of sin and we're to put our faith and our trust completely and solely in the person of Christ. He's paid it. He's paid it in full. He's paid the crime that we committed. Even though he committed no crime, he paid the penalty on our behalf. Lord, we are a room full of sinners. And apart from the salvation of Christ, we are miserable, lost men and women on their way to an eternal hell. But you've provided a way, and it's through the cross of Calvary. Would you draw hearts to yourself, even now, and if there's one soul here today that the Spirit of God would speak to and say, Come then, Lord, I pray that in this closing song that they will respond to the Holy Spirit and that they will surrender their life to Jesus Christ and receive Him as their only means of forgiveness and salvation. You promise to as many as receive Him, to them you give the right to become the children of God. And for us who are children of God, who are struggling in our circumstances, May we interpret it from the love of God that we'll see clearly through biblical lenses and consider it an honor to suffer with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.